You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. So today we're talking to two really fun, exciting people, Nancy Walton from Ollie and Caitlin Strandberg from Lara Hippo. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode because usually we talk to founders, we talk to uh, folks from the press or people who are looking at the, the space kind of in a meta way. This is kind of going to be a little bit of both because Nancy is with Ollie. It's a consumer brand in the direct-to-consumer space selling pet food online. You're well known for the human-grade quality of your pet food. We had your co-founder, Gabby Sloan, on the podcast pretty early on, actually, episode 20, um, about two years ago. She kind of gave us a, a deep dive on you know, why the business was started and kind of the challenges around how do you sell a product where the consumer is different from the purchaser? Um, how do you make the dogs happy? How do you make the, the people happy? Talked about kind of the brand and, and the, kind of the beautiful like branding and, and messaging that you've designed. But that was very early on, right after launch. And since then, it's been about two years. Nancy, you're on the operations side of the company. Uh, we're going to get into your background in a second. And then, and Caitlin, you've been with Lara, who is an investor in Ollie. And you've been involved in, in the space over there in New York. You're coming to us today in, in Los Angeles. So we kind of have all these three perspectives. And what we want to talk about today is Ollie's about to, to roll out some big changes on the operational side. We're going to talk about that and kind of what we're seeing in terms of what does that mean from a supply chain standpoint. I'll try to bring in the packaging knowledge. Caitlin can bring in the like VC lens and like you know, how does this represent other patterns that we see happening across the space? But why don't we start with, with you, Nancy, and just kind of give us your uh, background on, on, you know, when you started at Ollie and, and what you do there. Sure. So I've been at Ollie now for a little over a year and a half working on our operations team. So our team covers everything from our, you know, R&D supporting when we're launching new products to the actual manufacturing side and then all of the fulfillment and logistics that are involved with getting our boxes to the customer's doorstep. And Caitlin, how did you get involved in Lair? And, and specifically, can you give any background on Lair's point of view on Ollie? Sure. So I've been at Lair Hippo for um, about a year, and I've worked in the venture space probably for the last five or six years, which is how we met way, way, way back. You know, at Lair Hippo, we're very active seed investors. We're based in New York, but we invest kind of all over San Francisco, LA, New York, Boston, all of that. And early on, we had a pretty early pet tech insight where we saw, you know, the emergence of this new type of consumer, which is actually pet parents um, that are spending, you know, a significant amount of money on their pets with the same expectations that they would with any other purchase they would make. So it needed to be branded. It needed to be high quality. It needed to be relatively healthy. We saw a new consumer with a new purchase pattern and, and Ollie really fit in with that side of things. We had also made a number of investments in the space like BarkBox and the Dodo. So we had been seeing this kind of groundswell of excitement around pets and pet parents and pet tech. So that was kind of one bucket. When you kind of take the venture lens, you think of like massive markets. So this is a 20 to 30 to $40 billion market pet spend. And then it was growing really rapidly, and there were maybe four or five kind of old-school brands that were dominating the space. And so when you think of kind of areas that are ripe for disruption and where new brands can come in and kind of take mind share, this was kind of 
uh, totally made sense to us and 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 um, was going to be a great area to kind of build a new modern brand in. So that was maybe the second element. I think in terms of we always look for team as well. And so we, when we met Gabby and the team, they were very mission driven. They were really focused on pet health. And that was something that we we always get excited about. And we always lean on our founders to really teach us where the insights are in the space and, and kind of have the conviction to build something that doesn't really exist. And so those three things combined uh, made it a really good investment for us. And I I guess maybe the the last thing would be, um, we're also investors in a company called Plated. So Plated was doing this for humans and humans are really picky. So you actually need like a lot of SKUs and you get kind of meal fatigue with all sorts of different products. So you need a lot of variation and, and pets, particularly dogs, are really easy because customers from that perspective because they don't ever get meal fatigue really and you can kind of give them chicken beef pork whatever over and over again and so they're a really great customer i just want to jump in caitlin and i are sharing a microphone so but i want to mention mention that flexo who is like our mascot at, at lumi uh and he's he's my co-founder jesse's dog runs around the office eating ollie and has for the past couple of years and he's a big fan too um i think i'm like the the primary caretaker of of flexo in some ways when he's around the office i'm giving him ollie food there there was that dichotomy we talked about in the uh, first episode with Gabby about, you know, you're trying to get someone to purchase this product on behalf of the dog, but also the dog needs to enjoy it. And, and it seems like they, they really do. And part of it is because this is like a, a refrigerated dog food. It's not, um, you know, like a, a dry food that you can put in, in storage forever. It's, it's actually like that's the human grade component of it. That's absolutely it. I mean, at Ollie, our, we're really about putting pets first and trying to make sure we're delivering that truly nutritious food for them. We care about what we're putting into our body. Um, we wouldn't want to feed our kids poor quality food, and our pets are part of our family. We want to give them the best quality food that they can have so that they're healthier, they're happier, they live longer. And that's just really been the priority of our company since day one is putting forward that super high quality experience that starts with the core product of our food, but really continues all the way through the customer experience of receiving that box and, you know, unboxing that box and serving that food to the dog. Do you want to share a little bit about what's coming up here with the the new product launch that you're working on? Sure. So we launched Ollie a couple years ago and we're a direct-to-consumer company, as you said. So we interact with our customers on a day-to-day basis, and we really get to know them very well. And over the past couple of years, we were really setting, focusing on setting our foundation for our growth to support scale and help us get where we want to be over the next you know, four, five, six years. At the same time as we were listening to our customer and getting more and more information, we started to notice a couple challenges that were popping up. I think every new company that launches, you launch with what you think is a great product for the market, but you know you're going to have to evolve it over time. And as we started to get smarter, we started to identify some of those those issues that our customers were, were having with our product. So the big ones that kind of jumped out to us were, one, our trays in their current form were pretty inefficient from a space perspective. I live in New York. I have a small fridge. I need to you know be able to get as much food into that fridge as possible. And our current trays were not very space efficient. We also found that the trays created some challenges with serving. They were plastic trays that has had ridges in the corners. And the result of that was when you served your food, sometimes there was some 
waste that was left in the tray. You couldn't get all of it out really easily. This happened to me all the time. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I saw that happening. I was like, I got to get that last pee out of that little uh, corner there. Exactly. I mean, since we're tailoring our product to your pup's nutritional needs, we're sending you the right amount of food to meet the caloric requirements. And so it's really important that you can get all of that food out of the tray. And we knew that this was, you know, a challenge. And then the third thing we saw was that portioning was challenging. We used a number of different scoops that, you know, were different sizes based on how much food your specific dog needed to eat in each meal. And for me, I always think about it like measuring a cup of brown sugar. You might pack that brown sugar down really, really deeply into that measuring cup, whereas I might kind of dip it in and pack it lightly. And the end result is that you might have double the brown sugar that I have. And that was what we found our customers were experiencing. So it became really difficult for them to make sure that they knew they were giving their pup the right amount of food. So those were the big things that we really wanted to address. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but I think that point you just had is, is really critical because this is where, as investors, you think about who are the customers, and your business has two customers, right? So there's the actual, you know, the human, the dog's best friend kind of, thinking about how they're using and interacting with their product, but you're also creating an entirely new product that is for kind of the pet consumer. And so you're almost building two companies at once. And we kind of see this separation um, all the time with different businesses. And it's a really interesting and fascinating challenge because your, your human customer doesn't actually necessarily get the benefit of the actual pet customer. And so those little friction points, we see our companies over and over and over again trying to optimize quickly, but you don't really know they exist until someone uses it and tries it. And you iterate on that over time, which is a lot like a software company. Exactly. And that's really the, the process we tried to take. We wanted to get to market with something that we knew was a great differentiated product and then be able to evolve it over time as we got smarter. You know, we always say, we don't know what we don't know. We need to test it. We need to talk to our consumer. And the difference you're pointing out about how our dogs are the ones that are eating it, but our customers are the ones, our humans are the ones that are purchasing it. We have the advantage as a direct-to-consumer company that we get to talk to our consumers every day. We get to get pretty intimate on what's going on with our different customers' dogs, what's working, what's not working, what's their experience like, what are they responding really well to, what are they not responding well to. And our focus really as a company has to be on providing that high-quality experience for the dog and the customer and making sure it's a really easy-to-use product and a really fun product as well. We have a very inherently playful brand, and we want that to come through because Having a dog is playful, and so it maps to what our product should really be. And another lens I want to add to this mix is you're you're selling something that needs to get to the customer cold, which is a whole other level of challenge. And theoretically, you didn't have to do that for dog food. Like you could just sold a canned food, you could have sold a dry food. That was an important thing to kind of the product and and the the customer, the the humans that you wanted to attract, and and the quality of the dog food that you wanted to make. Tell us a little bit about how the supply chain has evolved over the past couple of years with that particular problem. Sure. So as you mentioned, we're a cold chain business, which has some inherent challenges. So cold chain essentially means at every point in the supply chain, starting with the delivery of our raw ingredients and the way that they are manufactured, the room they're manufactured in, to how they are shipped to our fulfillment locations and around the country, and then 
to how they eventually arrive on our customer's doorstep has to be cold chain. All of our food needs to arrive cold um, to keep it fresh because it is meat and vegetables and fruits. So I think the biggest challenge for us really is that this is a new model in so many ways. We're doing something that no one's really done before in our category. And that model hasn't been fully proven out to date. It's challenging for that cold chain. And it's challenging because we are such a fast growing company at the same time. So we're really having to learn in real time and make decisions today to support our current operations, but then never lose sight of the fact that you know, in five years, we'll be a totally different company and we'll be much bigger. And we need to put in place today a lot of the foundation to support that growth. So it's really just about scalability. I mean, I think back to when I started at Ollie versus today, we were a lot smaller. We could, you know, our focus was different. So when we were buying raw materials in our supply chain for manufacturing, for example, if a truckload of beef became available that was really high quality and at a good price, we could take advantage of that and just buy the whole truckload and that could be sufficient. But today and in the future, that's really not a scalable approach. We have to be constantly thinking about what does our network need to look like? What are our vendor relationships? What do they need to look like to be able to get us the right products and the right quality at the right time? and to be able to fulfill those to a much broader base of customers in the future. I think one of the meta things here about what's going on with, you know, Ollie is it's only been a couple years since you launched and you're able to see all of this iteration just because you as you said as a direct to consumer business you have so much more direct feedback going on and this is really a, a question that I think of from an investment standpoint as a, as a product market fit kind of moment where now you've got subscribers who are using this, receiving this on a you know, weekly or monthly cadence. And that introduces like this moment where there's an opportunity to do like a version two. And we're kind of living in a space where software, you can do this. You can roll out an update you know, to people and they, everyone can get it overnight. But when you're talking about supply chain and you're talking about like physical goods, it's a little slower to make those changes and it involves a lot of different partners. For Caitlin, I'm, I'm curious, when you see this happening, you mentioned Plated, you mentioned you know, there's other companies that you've been involved in. What's the, the typical pattern that you see around this type of challenge of like taking something that was working and, and then evolving it and what's the right time to do that? When do you feel like you've got enough information to now make that second bet? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. I think <laughs> I, we, I talk about this probably like once or twice a week with our portfolio companies with our team. You know, the world has, the world has changed, particularly around direct-to-consumer or consumer products, where you have one shot to like impress your customer and your consumer. And everything gets delivered now. Amazon's kind of in every, um, yeah, on every kind of front door in, in New York City. Like you really have to build a product and build a experience from the moment a box gets delivered that stands out from the crowd that stands out from you know the sea of brown boxes um so we think that's really important and we think that's like critical because you don't have a retail footprint you don't have anyone that can talk about your product or explain it or sell you on one thing or another like you have to surprise and delight with the actual delivery and so there are different ways you can do that you can do kind of minimum viable ways and you can graduate once you have either more funding or more customers over time. But you really have to find like that interesting, compelling hook that will make your customers want to share the product, whether it's on social or tell their friends about it. You basically have like a moment to create organic growth or world of ma- word of mouth marketing. So like a great example is Casper. We're early investors in Casper, like a mattress in a box. 
If you Google Casper unboxing, you'll see hundreds of videos on YouTube of people unboxing and getting excited and taking photos of it. Like that's just a, a totally different experience. And so every iteration you do from a packaging perspective, you almost have to reinvent yourself in a new way so that you're it doesn't get kind of stale. And so, you know, on one hand, it's kind of the minimum viable. Make sure your brand is kind of portrayed through the packaging and portrayed through the experience. Make sure your product actually shows well. And then I think it's a lot like what Ollie's doing where you're optimizing on the packaging uh, based on customer feedback, keeping people happy, but then also being a little futuristic on thinking about where does the future of packaging go? You have to kind of respond to that. So you have to change with your consumers. So like an example of that is we're about to enter into a plastic-free, like no single-use plastic world. Um, We're at the very early stages of that. And so that's going to have to be incorporated into a lot of different packaging and products and experiences and a lot of brand. There's a lot of localism going on. So you're going to have to kind of make sure that you're catering to the demands of the new consumer in that way. And you'll have to iterate on that. But the product that works when you first start is very unlikely to be the product that works later down the road. Yeah, and you you have new economies of scale now because you've got uh, more customers. You're able to make decisions that maybe you know earlier on you were just not able to afford or didn't have the scale to be able to manufacture something. Maybe uh, Nancy, if you want to describe some of the new components that you're bringing, you mentioned obviously like moving away from trays into sort of like a much lighter footprint kind of bag style uh, that allows the the food to take up less space in the fridge, but also just uses less plastic, less material. And then the new pup-tainer containers, which is like an interesting concept that I would love for you to describe. Absolutely. So I think the best way to do this is to really just describe the unboxing experience, because that's really what it's all about, like when the customer gets the box. So a lot of the things Caitlin was mentioning made me smile because they're things that we're actively thinking about on a day-to-day basis. So when you get home, there's a sea of boxes often delivered on your on your doorstep. And when Ollie is one of those boxes, we really wanted to make sure it stood out. So the first thing you see is that it's actually a white box and it has writing in our, our red color. And those sayings on it are really playful, witty sayings, kind of starting to initially hint at what our brand is about. When you open it as a new customer, the first thing you see is our welcome kit, the highlight of which is the pup-tainer that you mentioned, along with our iconic red Ollie lid and a spoon. What we found over the past couple of years, as we talked with our consumers, is that because we're doing something that's really new and we're changing the way customers feed their pets, there's still sometimes like a some discomfort with keeping their their dog's food in the fridge next to their human food. And with the pup tainer and the lid, what we're really trying to do is change that mentality by giving your dog's food its rightful place in the fridge. So we were really excited about having that pup tainer as part of it. Once you then get past that step, the rest of the box is really all about the food. So we have certain elements in the new packaging that are to really protect the food in transit and make sure that it arrives in the right form and nothing happens when it's you know shipping from us to you. And then the rest of it is around making sure the food maintains that cold chain so it arrives at the right temperature so that you can put it right into your fridge or your freezer. The biggest change is really that the customers will experience is really in that core packaging of the product. So I mentioned the trays with the ridges and the challenge that, that can create with serving the food. We also found that in transit, sometimes those trays would crack. And that's just because the boxes get 
you know, they're kept really cold. And so that plastic could become a little more brittle. And so that was one really big thing we wanted to change. And so the new packaging, we actually switched away from trays and now we use a vacuum sealed method. And so this makes those packs really, really space efficient, which was something that our customers highlighted a challenge with in the old packaging. And it protects the food better in transit. Yes, a, a pattern that we're, we're seeing in, at Lumion, we've been planning a, a big piece for the blog about, uh, we haven't found the right name for it because we want to make it gender neutral, but it's like the milkman model is coming back, like the milk person. I don't know. I feel like it needs a good name, but just the idea that you have like a replenishment that you know requires so much less packaging and doesn't need to like sit on, on a shelf enables that idea. How much was sustainability a factor in some of these decisions? It was absolutely a factor in our decisions. When we talked with customers, we knew that that was something that they were really thinking about and focused on. And so we were making a lot of decisions and changing a lot of things at once um, based on all of those insights that we had gathered. We wanted to make sure that we were truly listening to what the customer cared about and then thinking very intentionally through how do those those decisions translate into our operations to support the scale that we're that we need to build to. So we tried to kind of keep that interplay in every discussion. And one thing we heard from customers was they wanted to reduce some of the waste that comes along with unboxing. And so as we went through optimizing our SKUs and portioning for the new packaging, we looked for a way to to make it such that we could send food to customers less frequently, and that would really cut down on the amount of waste that they had to handle. You mentioned making a lot of changes at once. That's kind of fascinating to me because you know you're, you've got multiple variables at play. And as we were just talking about, you know, a few minutes ago, you now need to make an investment. Um, so with the the pubtainer, for example, which you know kind of looks like a, a regular kind of Tupperware type of container, but has like the 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 Ollie colors and like the Ollie branding on it, and but it looks very classy and, and minimalistic at the same time. Um, you know that that involves like significant tooling costs, you know, and that's something that we're on, on the other side of as a company, we, we actually help you manufacture that product. Um, you know, you have to kind of be able to make that bet from not just like a design standpoint, but a financial standpoint. And if you're working across multiple various variables at once, like it can be challenging to make that, that bet. And so is there anything that for you, um, Nancy, gave you the confidence to be able to move forward with that? Was it just data from your users or something else? Absolutely. So the packaging change didn't happen overnight. And I think that's really the key. This was an extremely iterative process. It started, of course, with the customer insights that we had gathered. And we dug really, really deeply into those. Our CX team talks to our customers every day. So we could understand what the data was saying and then go even deeper by connecting with our our agents who are talking to the people every day. And from there, we started to formulate an idea of what we what we wanted to, to change. Um, but then it didn't just kind of end there. We we went really deep throughout the entire process of changing this packaging. So we would pull together an idea of what we wanted to do and then really try and test it on customers to keep that feedback loop live. And it was actually a really great learning experience for all of us um, because it was just an example of how you really can never stop listening to your customer. We're building a new category 
and we're learning in real time and things can change quickly. So when we started this process, we were actually initially leaning in a different direction based on some of the initial insights. And then as we went deeper, as we tested it with customers, as we watched them in their kitchens, unbox it and put it in their fridge and their freezer and see what they liked, what they didn't like, we started to notice that maybe there was a different direction to go in. And so then we, we understood the importance of staying nimble and staying responsive. And that's how we really got a lot of the confidence that you're, you're asking about, because we tested it a lot. And we talk to customers and we'll continue to test it. This isn't, as Caitlin said, you kind of get one shot to make that great impression, but every day you have to make a great impression. So I foresee over the next couple of years, we'll continue to get smarter and continue to evolve. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you definitely, you guys have definitely done an amazing amount of data collection and like data that will inform kind of new product decisions. And when you, when you raise venture capital funding, you know, that's that's what we hope that you do. We hope that you listen to your customer and then, you know, assign your own judgment onto what to do and what to wait on and, and what to execute on. And that type of um, behavior is kind of like that entrepreneurial mentality that we love. I think one thing that's emerging here, and, and Nancy's touched on it quite a bit, is like there's a new type of startup employee. And it's someone who's got supply chain expertise um, that thinks about things in a minimum viable way. Um, that prioritizes what are the most important things for the biggest, you know, the, the most customers and then prioritizes that in spaces it over time. So like, you know, the, the software developer is probably not like the core employee for a company like Ollie. It's probably like a het nutritionist. It's probably a supply chain expert. It's probably an industrial design, packaging design person because that is the value prop. And so, yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I think Lumi is so phenomenal is that it's it's really a hole for a lot of companies that a new generation of entrepreneur and employee is is um, needs to start filling to serve this new consumer. I'm I'm taking the compliment, but also it's 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 um it's necessary at this point in time because like again, this is a product that really did not exist on the market before. You know, maybe it did to 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 some small places, but most people were really not buying cold dog food. And they are not necessarily buying it online either. So we're only a couple of years into this. There aren't best practices around that. There's not a model that you can compare to and say like, you know, we're going to do what this huge company is doing, but we're going to do it uh, slightly better with different ingredients. You're inventing it from scratch. And this is true across many categories. Um, and when you don't have any best practices to look at necessarily, you have to invent them as you go. Um, and And that's kind of like, for for Nancy, I mean, this is more just kind of a personal question at this point, but like you're coming into this, like, you, you know, you didn't necessarily have expertise in the dog food world coming into this, not necessarily had expertise in like direct to consumer. What's been the learning path for you to start picking that up and kind of to, to Caitlin's point, become that person who can be very adaptive and like responsive to what you're seeing from the data and turning that into like actionable product decisions or supply chain decisions? Absolutely. So you're right. I actually joined Ollie not having a lot of um, supply chain expertise. And so for me, from the beginning, it's really been about what do I know? What don't I know? And how can I really quickly figure that out? So what resources do I need at my fingertips to be able to learn in real time, both for myself and also because of what you said, that we're building this new category. So really, we're all learning in real time. And that's where it came down to the team for me and making sure I was surrounding myself myself with partners and 
vendors that I could partner with. So Lumi is a great example. We worked super closely with your team on the Puptainer and the scoop um, or the spoon and the lid. That was a very, very iterative process, really a partnership of you know, us expressing some of the things that we needed, some of the challenges we knew we might have, what the customer really was going to care about, and then leveraging the Lumi team's expertise on the best way to manufacture that. I think it's really applicable to everyone in every business setting, but it's really about the team. And you're part of a team for a reason, and everyone brings different experiences and different perspectives. So this packaging relaunch was an extraordinarily cross-functional project. The entire company has been really focused on it for a while. Whether it's, you know, the interplay between operations and tech and having those meetings and talking through a lot of the implications of what we wanted to to materialize and what we needed from from their side to support that or talking to marketing really closely and understanding their desire and what kinds of things we needed to balance and how we wanted to prioritize to be able to to give the product that we we knew would really be playful and easy to use and high quality and at the same time support kind of that future that we're trying to build toward. Yeah, I think something that um, you know I heard from from your team about was and that made Lumi like helpful in this process is just our understanding of equipment and manufacturing methods, I think helped through some of the challenges that you were dealing with in terms of like the injection molding that was required for the lid or even things that are as simple as like the tape that you need to put on your box needs to be freezer grade in order to be able to ship and stay uh, sticky while it's like, you know, in a refrigerated environment. Those are like very like nitty gritty details that you coming into this like don't necessarily know or need to know, but uh, hopefully like the platform and the software that we're building like helps kind of like provide those insights or recommend the right choice uh, as well. I, I would love for you to you know maybe dive into some of those details that you know challenges that you you maybe wouldn't have expected to have to deal with. Sure. So I think the two examples you gave are actually really really great ones. Um, like I said, we changed our packaging to be the vacuum vacuum packed. And so that was a whole new manufacturing process. And we were changing the labels that go on our products. And as you mentioned, this product has to stay in the freezer. So when we were thinking about you know, we, our team, a lot of what we're thinking about is then like the design and making sure we have it ready to go, to go into the equipment. And so having the Lumi team kind of highlight some of the other characteristics to think about and make sure we're aware of was really, really helpful. Um, and so, like you said, focusing on the freezer grade and making sure that was what we started with to to have it be the best adhesive that endures throughout the life cycle of the product. With the injection molding, there was also, I think, a component there that injection molding is actually quite new to Lumi. We're, we're still in the, in the beta testing phases of it. And we like to work with companies like Ollie where we can actually um, start to like really understand your needs so that we can roll that out. Because like with every one of these like different challenges that you're deal- dealing with, like, hey, we need to make sure the adhesive is not going to come off when the, the, the vacuum form bags are in the, in the freezer. Um, that's a problem that, you know, a lot of companies who are selling things that are cold face. But we're trying to be a kind of a, a platform that helps abstract some of those problems away because really what you should be focusing on is like making the best possible dog food and working with 
uh, you know, customers. And so how, how can we kind of like look at the patterns that we're seeing across many, many brands and try to kind of abstract those challenges away? Um, with injection molding, uh, this has been also a great like opportunity for us to really like understand kind of the level of quality and fit and finish that uh, brands are looking for. Like uh, as Caitlin was mentioning with kind of the level of quality that you need to have to stand out when you're like buying stuff from Amazon that's sort of coming in, not necessarily in the best packaging, not necessarily in the in the nicest way. What are like the quality expectations and reliability expectations that you're looking at from a supply chain standpoint where you found it perhaps challenging to deal with before and where where you think it where you think that needs to go regardless of, of Lumi being involved? Yeah, so I think that in the past when we first launched our product, we were we launched with our, our our V1, I'll call it, of our packaging and had used the initial insights. The team used the initial insights they knew from customers to figure out what that packaging should look like. But we we're making a lot of these decisions, I think, on our own and probably knew at the time that the, the packaging wasn't going to be the long-term solution. The challenges that we have, therefore, are when you're working with a lot of different vendors on all the different components of your packaging, you're having to juggle a lot of different processes and a wide spectrum of understanding and experience and attention to detail, right? Different vendors focus on different things. And part of what drew our team to working with Lumi, for example, on this packaging relaunch was that you do have that incredibly wide net of expertise across lots of different categories. And so it really helps when you're working with a partner who can take that more macro perspective on the product and help to understand how the different pieces fit together. The pup-tainer and the lid is supposed to be a really premium product that we're sending to our customers to make that experience of holding the food in the fridge really enjoyable and give that food its its place in the in the fridge. And so we needed to make sure that the everything from the glossiness on the inside to the mat on the outside and that the injection point on the lid was done in a way that really had a, a high level of craftsmanship. And we didn't always get that in the past in our in our V1. We struggled at times to work really closely with certain vendors and make sure they they translated what our vision was into the actual end product. And so with Lumi on the Puptainer, for example, they had a team on site that was watching the production to make sure that all of the details that we had discussed with them well in advance were really coming to life when the actual production was happening. So I think that has been an extremely helpful partnership um, and approach for us with this relaunch and something that as we think toward the future and we think about other ways or other products and other iterations we'll, we'll do over time, having that level of strategic thinking from our vendors will continue to be really, really important. One of the things that has enabled this category of you know consumer brands today has been 
all the tools that have come out over the past 15 years. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, if you were starting a company like this, you might have had to like mount your own servers on, you know, in a server uh, room somewhere in your office. And like nowadays, that is abstracted to like two or three degrees. You know, you've obviously have Shopify, you've got your your customer service platforms, you've got your marketing platforms. What we've found, you know, and that has been great for us uh, at Lumi is just like everyone kind of has a home base within the company now, except for supply chain and operations. Like a lot of that world still lives in spreadsheets. And that's a problem that we really want to help solve. But I'm curious for, for Caitlin, like because you also invest in software, what is your perspective on, um, I sort of call it like object-oriented company building because that concept in software is just like you can sort of plug and play these different puzzle pieces. Now you can kind of do that for a company, not just for a piece of software. And I'm just curious how you've seen that enable the emergence of more companies or where you see like the big gaps that exist today. Yeah. So you, so you actually, I call it enabling technologies. So I'm glad you use the word enable. And the way that we think about it is in terms of like investable opportunities, any type of software or product or suite of products or insight that enables creators to do what they do best, which is create or build, we think is always highly, highly valuable. So, um, you know, you see this a little bit on the software side with like Adobe, with like their suite of, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, whatever. You know, with Lumi, kind of the packaging, manufacturing aspect, if someone is a really phenomenal, in the case of Ollie, like, you know, pet nutritionist, the fact that they would spend a majority of their time figuring out boxes and tapes and and learning that you need freezer grade tape versus something else feels like a very poor use of their time. Um, and so it's where can you find opportunities to outsource things that are someone else can do better so you can do your special talent and your special gift. And so we actually look for those companies all the time. We think they're very powerful. There have been many, many phenomenal businesses that have been built in the space, like InVision, for example, which is kind of a collaboration tool for video, or Stripe. Why should people think about, why should developers be building the same payment platform and payment code over and over and over again when you can just kind of do an API call? Um, So we saw this in the world of developer tools kind of over and over again, and now we're seeing it in the world of creator tools. So it's a huge huge opportunity. And like, you know, a lot of our companies have worked with agencies. So Red Antler and Gin Lane are one of them. I think a lot of the companies then work with Lumi and there's still a couple of other places. So I think, you know, a very obvious space is probably like contract manufacturing. So if you're going to be building a new CPG brand or a new personal care brand, where do you go to actually formulate and personalize and build? So that's like a really kind of obvious space for us. One angle on that is just like going forward as we look at the future, and, and this is really for Caitlin or Nancy. Like, what, you know, what are the the holes that we we still have in like building a company, building a product, and abstracting away some of the the complexity that is not really material to the the creative output or the unique output of the company. I, and, and and Nancy, I, I mean, I, I heard you sort of like I heard you nodding. I feel like when we, I was talking about spreadsheets, but I, I don't know, kind of like um, it, you know how your perspective is on that. Sure. So I think that the big thing that comes to my mind is the fact that we're in a world where there's so much to do. Our team comes in every day, and there's a bunch of different things that we have to get done, and we're also trying to make sure we're focusing, therefore, on the highest impact things all day long and really planning for the future. For us, it's really less about what's going to happen tomorrow, next month, in the next six months. 
It's really about what's going to happen in the next five years. And so when our team is going through different parts of our supply chain, whether it's working with the manufacturing or or building the processes and fulfillment, there's still a lot of time that we're spending on, you know, the the data gathering side, the auditing side, the inventory management side. And there are tools that for sure exist out there. But for a company like us, when you have when you're fast growing, you have limited resources that you're really trying to be thoughtful about how you allocate and make sure you're allocating them to the the highest value areas. Sometimes we're not always able to get the tool today that would save us the time on a certain exercise that we're doing in fulfillment, for example. And so I think those are the areas that I hope over time to see more and more tools that are really plug and play, easy to use, help with kind of standardizing certain processes and procedures and making sure you have the right data and it's accurate at the right time. I'm curious to hear a little bit about the the areas where you feel that there are some of the biggest challenges there where you are having to end up kind of like hacking something together or just using spreadsheets or email or like plain old phone call. You know, there's lots of different examples. <laughs> um so with the packaging, for example, there were so many different components that were changing. And so we're regularly in spreadsheets thinking through if we choose this product over that product, what's the implication? Obviously, we have to focus on delivering the best customer experience, but we also have to understand you know, the cost side of it and what are the implications of choosing this direction versus that direction. And so getting really smart on managing kind of the the underlying costs. Um, we're regularly in spreadsheets thinking about stuff like that. On the inventory side, when you're fast growing, you're really focused on making sure you always have that inventory and so and also be able to support the growth. Like we're not a mature company where our growth is extremely predictable and stable. Like it's very fast growing. So we have to regularly stay ahead of that. And so we have certain tools that we've built internally to help us really get as a strong sense of what every day looks like in the future so that we can stay ahead of that. So, so Nancy, when you, um, as you continue to explore the best tools, let us know because we'll, we'll be investing Sounds in all great. of them. Sounds great. And we, we should chat. Yeah. I mean, this is a real, this is a real, um, real area of interest for investors kind of broadly. It's this whole idea of taking things out of email, taking things out of spreadsheets and creating, productizing them and then marketing them to mass market. There are always going to be opportunities to kind of optimize. Um, but really, it's like, what are the repeated behaviors that people do day in and day out over and over and over again that distract them from their work, the true work they do? So we're always looking for kind of elements of of that. I think as it relates to kind of Lumi and, and Ollie, Savan, like you said, like wide open space. You're really like the first of your kind to kind of be doing this. And, and so there's going to be a lot of discovering along the way where there is kind of new opportunities to kind of productize on top of that, that, you know, I can't even predict because supply chain and packaging and, and, you know, your whole space is so new. Um, we really rely on companies like Ollie and rely on companies like you to tell us what the new areas of optimization are. So really that's for kind of you guys to discover and then, and then let us know because I can't even predict that. In, in my experience the past couple of years, ordering has really been an area that, you know, is ripe for disruption, which is why Lumi has been so great and such a wonderful partner to work with. I mean, the typical process of placing an order for a box that goes into your packaging, for example, is 
over email, reaching out to the vendor, talking through what the pricing is going to look like based on the different quantities, agreeing to that, and then sending the purchase orders. Like that's, it's a very manual process typically. And it, it, that the amount of time it can take on a day-to-day basis really adds up. So having those things put onto platforms where all the information is already stored and it's accessible at my fingertips. When I need to reference back to it, I can just go to the website and find an old order I placed, get all the details I need, automatically place another replenishment order. That saves so much time and it's been so value-add to us. And being able to translate that into more areas of our fulfillment processes, for example, will be really helpful. We've talked to a lot of different companies and founders on the podcast and folks who've done VC or not, people who've gone down the path of bootstrapping or Kickstarter. And for me, I just really enjoy kind of sharing all those perspectives for for the listeners who might be building their own company and trying to figure it out. I think one place where VC does really help is you have uh, a pattern matching capability like that you're bringing. You're bringing a lens to the the founders of Ollie, the team at Ollie, of being able to like help them see around the corner because you're working with companies who are maybe you know just a little bit, a couple years ahead of them in in the in the process. When you when you look at a company like Ollie or or any of your other portfolio companies and you're trying to help them you know, kind of see around the corner, what are things that come to mind just sort of related to this whole conversation? In, in venture capital, we have a thing which is called a portfolio, and that's like the universe of companies that we've invested in. And at Lair Hippo, we actually have a very active and engaged portfolio. So we were early investors in Warby Parker and Casper. We're investors in Dia & Co. You know, and then we're, we're investors on a slew of companies on the enterprise side. But what what we do is we we make sure that kind of the best practices from our older companies that have been very successful can kind of get translated down to the newer companies that have just raised seed funding from us. But it's really up to the founder of the young company to adapt that to modern times. So what worked for Casper when they launched will not work today. But there are all, there are all sorts of kind of insights and connections of how to think about decisions that we think is what's passed down. So that's kind of like the high level, how we connect people. I think from a financing perspective, you know, as seed investors, it's our job to get our companies that we've invested in to a successful Series A. We want to get them to that next round of funding. And so, you know, with with digitally native brands, that really comes down to a handful of things. And there are things that are for consumer businesses, but also now enterprise businesses. So, I mean, I think the first thing is you need to have a authentic, amazing brand. And that's got to be founder driven. We love Casper. We love Gin Lane. If you work with them, you have to drive the brand and that's got to resonate through the the product. And so we like brand DNA in our founders. Number one, if you sell to consumer, you have to have some some like great thinking around what your brand stands for, what the mission is, how your consumers will or customers will respond to that, and how does the brand evolve over time? And the way that we see that is usually a really big vision and kind of incremental ways that you get there. And you have to kind of have the early inklings of that from the seed to series A. I think on the second side, we really look for, you know, I guess I would call it like customer growth. So you can have two types of growth. You can have organic growth or you can have paid growth. And unfortunately, we're living in a world where a lot of companies are are doing paid growth, which means they're buying ads on Facebook and Instagram, and that's kind of driving. We find that that's not very sustainable. Um, So what we like to see is a good slice of your traffic coming from organic growth. So that's customers that love it. Customers that love the packaging and experience so much, they're posting it on Instagram, they're posting it on Facebook. They're your informal advocates and influencers. 
And that kind of creates a flywheel of word of mouth marketing. That is something that we must see. And we encourage our companies to do that. And we use our kind of founders in our portfolio to um, share that and drive that forward. So that's, that's, I think, like a real, a way that we can help people kind of yeah. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I just wanted to jump in because it's so funny. We, you're talking about packaging uh, as like a mechanism for people to want to share things on on social media. One of the things that attracted me to Ollie, I, I think the moment that I saw it, like, uh, you know, two and a half years ago when it first, first launched, was something so simple, which I had never seen dog food, where I could visibly see chunks of carrot and peas. And that sounds so like basic and like almost like I almost feel stupid saying that out loud because I'm like, like, I don't know what dogs need. Like, I don't know if they like peas or carrots, but like, I know that that seems healthy from my perspective as a, as a you know, dumb consumer. But like that, that really, I think, influences like people even on a very subconscious level when they're making decisions around this stuff. Absolutely. And we, we see it every day. So our products are, our, our recipes are vet formulated. So we really always keep the nutritional needs of our pups First and foremost, in our mind, it's everything we do is to to bring that truly nutritious food to your pet. Um, that is just fundamental to our business. What we've found is that when um, customers start transitioning their dog onto Ollie, nothing gets us more excited than when we see the reaction of the dog. So, Kaylin, you were talking about um, you know when when customers start to love a product so much that they want to share it on their own. Our favorite thing is looking at the Instagram posts that our customers do, um, our customers share when they receive their box of Ollie and their dog is jumping up and down, just trying to bite at the box because they're so excited to get the food that's inside. It's really remarkable the difference that we see when um, in terms of pets' reactions to the fresh food versus the traditional, you know, more kibble um, options on the market. You know, you're calling out stuff on the the seeing the ingredients, and what we're finding is that that really is translating. Like having those fresh ingredients really translates into our pet's health and into their excitement and their enjoyment of their food. I feed Ollie to my own dog. You know, she gets so excited when it's when it's breakfast or when it's dinner time, and she's waiting by her bowl for it. And her energy level is better when she's on our food. And her coat is really soft and shiny. And we love that, you know, this focus on providing healthy nutritional ingredients that you can see and you know are in there really makes a difference in our pets' lives. And so I think that's that's really important because... One of the other very important things of of kind of building a business is your customers love the product so much that they come back over and over and over again. This is a really beautiful part of this model where you can, you know, your dog's got to eat, your dog's got to continue to eat. Once he or she kind of has Ollie, it gets very sad if like kibble is the next meal. And so like there's this recurring revenue perspective here. And that becomes really, um, that's attractive for us as venture investors, but that's also a great signal and a massive proof point for you to build your business and go to the next, the next stage. So if you have a beautiful product and a great brand, but people don't buy it repeatedly, you're really going to struggle to be successful. And so one of the things that Ollie does really well is this this magical moment. The dog is excited. The person is excited that the dog is excited. And they do that over and over and over again. And that's a a key unlock. This has really been a love fest here. But I I feel like everyone's very excited. What I'm I'm most excited about, and I hope that listeners will will come out of this with, is I think that kind of the cross-functional 
nature of even just this conversation, but also kind of like that the project that you've been sharing with us, Nancy, is is really important. And I, I, I think not enough of these conversations are happening, especially at the operational level and the supply chain level of the companies that, that we're building, because it's freaking hard. Like getting real products out to people is hard. And the companies that have been doing this have been around for 150 or 200 years, literally. I mean, Procter and Gamble and Kraft and all these different types of companies. These are, these companies have been around for a really long time, and they've like learned over a really long time how to do this stuff. Some of us are just like learning this for the first time, and we can use like community. I learn so much just from like hearing you talk right now, both of you. And so I hope that that keeps going. And I'm, I, I hope that we can create more like of a forum for, for that conversation to keep going because we're inventing the, the best practices as we go. I want to thank you so much, uh, uh, Nancy and Caitlin. Nancy, if people want to find out more about Ollie, they can go to myollie.com. Tell us about the launch and, and the, the new product line. When is that? Uh, I think that should be out now as we, as we uh, release this. We're super excited. We just recently launched the digital side of it, and customers should uh, expect the new packaging in their next box. Is there anything else you want to point people to if they want to learn more about Ollie? Just go to the website? Uh, just check out our website, myollie.com, and also uh, follow us on Instagram. Nice. And uh, Caitlin, if uh, people want to uh, learn about Lair Hippo, what's the, what's the URL? I don't have it in front of me. So it's www.lairhippo.com. Um, but yeah, we're, we're based in New York City. We invest all over. We do both consumer and enterprise. If any of you have a company, we'd love to meet you. Um, just feel free to reach out either through our website or find me on Twitter. Are you on Twitter, Nancy? If someone has a, how do I uh, make sure my perishables uh, <laughs> don't, don't go bad as I'm like figuring out my direct-to-consumer supply chain? <laughs> uh, we have an amazing canine care team who is the best source for answering all those questions. So you can reach out to our canine care team. It's also through our website and through Instagram where we're, we'll respond there as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Ooh, one last thing before we go. I'm talking to you at home. What's your favorite brand these days? Is there something that you think is really well-made or maybe someone that you'd love for me to talk to? Send us a tweet. We are at Lumi, L-U-M-I, on Twitter. We're making this show for you, so tell us what you want to hear, and we'll make it happen. Thanks. See you next time.